So let's cultivate our motivation. It's important to hold our mind back when it wants to judge situations and blame people. And remember what Shandideva was telling us in chapter 6, that things come about due to many, many causes and conditions. And so rather than get mad at one person and blame that person for everything in the situation, to really look at all the various causes and conditions, some created in perhaps many different uh, previous lives, some conditions ripening in this lifetime, And when we can see how complex things are, it helps us from just attributing blame to one cause or one condition. And it opens us to have compassion for everyone in a very fraught situation. Because all the people are afflicted by ignorance, anger, clinging attachment. They're all trying to be happy and not suffer. And their afflictive emotions and wrong views control their minds. So we can have compassion for everybody involved and still hold people accountable for their actions. So compassion does not mean weakness, but it depends on clarity. And so with this kind of motivation, may we continue learning about samsara, nirvana, and Buddha nature, and in particular, the 12 links of dependent arising and how they function to keep us revolving in cyclic existence and how we can free ourselves from them. And with that, let's hold the long-term motivation of freeing ourselves and others from cyclic existence.
Okay. So I was going to teach on this chapter. And uh, when I went back to my room after Posada, I discovered that uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, the jury had reached a verdict. And it's... um, uh, there's a lot of emotion in the country about this now. This is the young man who, um, the summer of 2020, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, there was one African-American man who was shot in the back by a police officer who was not even charged in, in that. The man lived, but he's... Uh, I don't know quadrup- if he's quadriplegic or, or only partially, but very severely damaged. And, uh, and then there were riots. Well, there was protests. Yeah, and there were protests, and some protesting turned into uh, just chaos in the city. And one young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, who lived in Illinois, uh, crossed state lines with an A, I think it's an AR-15, uh, rifle, semi-automatic. He was 17 at the time. He's now 18. And he crossed state lines with this weapon that he did not buy because at Age 17, you aren't allowed to buy it, but his friend bought it and gave it to him. And he said he went to Kenosha uh, to help the police and to uh, uh, take care of people. He claimed to be a medic. He he wasn't really one, but he brought us a, uh, a first aid kit with him. And while he was there, he was walking with some other people with weapons. And uh, it seems like they they were kind of a vigilante group. Uh, the police, I guess, weren't uh, numerous enough to control the situation. So private citizens armed with weapons went out to help the police and uh, Kyle wound up killing two men and injuring another man. He was not arrested that night. He went home. He turned himself in the next day. Uh, yeah, and uh, the trial just happened. It was two, three weeks long, and the jury was uh, started deliberating, did I say that right? Uh, Monday or Tuesday, and, uh, no, Tuesday, yeah, and and then reached a a decision today. So I was thinking about this. I haven't told you the decision yet. Um, The whole situation, you know, you can view it, and learned so much about karma from this. Yeah, and I thought it might be helpful 
you know, because sometimes people hear about karma and it seems very theoretical. Either theoretical or people think it means um, fate or predestination or people think it implies other people deserving to be harmed. Or There's many misunderstandings about it. Uh, and yet we live, I mean, the, the functioning of karma, which means our volitional actions and their effects, this is the milieu in which we live. It's a natural law, just like gravity is. Nobody created it. Nobody made it up. The Buddha didn't make it up. He just described it out of compassion so that we could uh, become more thoughtful about our actions and consider the the uh, results of our actions. So this is a, an interesting case uh, to talk about karma and also to talk about compassion. Yeah. So here's this 18-year-old kid on trial for with five charges uh, facing, he's being tried as an adult, facing life imprisonment. You're 18. Imagine that. Okay, you're 18, facing life imprisonment. There's five charges. I, uh, the most severe was life imprisonment. I'm not sure about the other ones, but it was, you know, definitely some heavy-duty charges. Okay. So people watched the, the trial. Um, there was a lot of commentary on it. The judge was kind of a character. It looked to some people... Um, like he was favoring the defendant. Yeah. Uh, who knows what was in his mind, but that's the way it looked. I should also, before I go into this more, um, say that I am not talking about politics. Okay. Yeah. The right and the left are, are very obsessed about what's happening, what the verdict is. But I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about karma. And I'm talking about compassion and trying to use a, a, a situation that we've heard about to, to see how these things function. Okay. So when you, you look at the situation, what he did, it's very clear that he killed the people that, that is not in dispute. The big thing was, uh, or did he do it in in uh, self defense? Okay, and the way the the Wisconsin law was written, it's up to the prosecutors to prove that he did not kill these people because of self defense. It is. It was not. Up, it's not up to the defendant to prove that he did do it out of self-defense. So it's already a hard case because of the way the law is written. How do you prove somebody didn't do it in self-defense? Yeah. 
Okay, so there's some factors here about uh, how the law was written. Okay, so that's going to be a cooperative condition. There was, uh, you know, the uh, the prosecutor. Uh-huh. There was uh, Rittenhouse's lawyers. So a lot of what happened depends on those people, their way of thinking, yeah, the way they presented the case, the way they elicited sympathy or anger, depending, yeah. So I'm just trying to lay out some of the cooperative conditions right now, yeah. There was his mother in the, the room, Okay, his father apparently lives in Kenosha. We didn't hear much about him. But the mother was in the room. Um, you can imagine how any mother would have felt if their child is, faces life imprisonment. The mother was interesting. She did a Fox News interview. And uh, when asked by the interviewer, did she think Kyle would do this again? And she said, yes, he always wants to help people. Okay, so from the mother's perspective, her child, you know, they talk about the, the compassion of a mother. Her child didn't do anything wrong. He was going there, as he claimed, to help people. Okay, interesting. The mother later said in another interview what she asked, what she thought about having weapons like this uh, around so freely available. She said, if my son did not have a weapon, he would be dead now. So she clear, you know, the question was about what she thought of a teenager having access to a semi-automatic rifle. And that's what she said. If he didn't have have that, he would be dead now. Very interesting, you know, because she can only see it through the viewpoint of this is my child. Yeah. Now, of course, two other sets of parents, yeah, their children were killed. And another set of parents, their child was severely injured. Okay. There's there's no talk about that. Those people were not uh, put on the stand at all. We didn't learn very much about the parents and the family or even of the of the two guys who were shot. Something about them came out, but just what they did at that moment. You know, we don't know much about their lives, their family. You know, we learned more about Rittenhouse's family, okay? So it's, it's interesting. Also, because the judge forbade the prosecutors to talk about the two murdered men and the, and the one who was injured to call them victims. They were not allowed to call them victims, Okay, and yeah, <laughs> interesting. Um, 
They were not allowed to call him victors. But if they were looting and rioters, the, prosec- the defense could call them looters or rioters, but not victims. So the, it was very interesting. As the trial proceeded, it kind of played out that Rittenhouse was seen as the victim. Yeah. And when he was describing what happened that evening, he broke down crying. Okay. So here's this white teenager, you know, on the stand sobbing. Yeah. In a country where there's a history of white men being vigilantes and taking the, the, the law into their own hand. Okay. Now I know from my work with with inmates, if Kyle had been black, yeah, I mean there's no question what would have happened. Okay. So you have these do you see these different circumstances, you know, what family somebody is born into? Yeah, how their parents think. You know, I wonder if the mother, when Kyle came home with this uh, air of 15, said, good, my son, you know, because he said he was going out to protect the country. And he's become kind of a right-wing hero as... You know, here's this young man who's a patriot who wants to step up and help the police. And now he is being blamed for murder. But he was doing this to serve the country and to protect the property of, uh, there was a car dealership. He was protecting the property there so that it didn't get damaged. And so somehow his protecting the property was, you know, a good reason for being there, even if it was at the expense of two dead people and a third injured one. So uh, the jury came back with a not guilty verdict on all the charges. I had thought somehow they must, they should, they must, you know, convict on something, but they didn't. It seems like the judge, the way he described the sentencing and what to look out for, it was, it was quite unclear because he kind of indicated if you find not guilty on one charge, then the not guilty goes for everything. Then everything is kind of solved. But that doesn't make sense to me because you could be on one defense, on one shooting, acting in self-defense, but not in the next one. Okay. Okay, so it came back. So some people are very happy. 
Some people are very upset. Yeah. Now, then you, you look, what kind of karma got all those people involved in that situation? Okay. So Rittenhouse, a young man who has no problem firing guns. Yeah. I've never touched a gun. I never want to. Okay. He has no problem in firing them. So to me that suggests maybe in a, and the fact, the ease with which he shot people, and he missed a few people too. Yeah, a few people he shot at and he missed. Um, that suggests to me some familiarity with weapons from a previous life, maybe some tendency to fire weapons and kill people from a previous life, you know, because one of the karmic results is the, uh, the, the habitual thing to do the action again. Okay. And then, of course, you have three people, two people who were killed. One was 26, one was 30 something. Okay. Both not very old. And so, like I was talking this morning about the, uh, you have some karma to live your life and then another karma comes and ripens an untimely karma and cuts your lifespan short. So I think for those two people, that's what happened. So that indicates that they might have been involved in violence or probably what were involved in violence against somebody else in a previous life, created that karma. Okay, yeah. So they had that karma. The one who was injured, you know, had some karma to be injured, but not to die. Yeah, so maybe he was violent in a previous life, but not quite so violent. Okay, so you have all this, this whole configuration of people now, from different backgrounds, different right, uh, races, all the two guys, all three guys who were shot at, two killed, were white. But all this happened in the context of protests against what happened with, um, Blake, the, the, he was also young. You know, he was quite young. And his children were in the car when the police officer shot him in the back. Okay. If you get shot in the back, you weren't... Usually people wouldn't think you were an immediate threat. So there's some racial something. Okay, so all these people coming to in with their previous karma to live, to die, to be injured, yeah, um, with their different karma to, um, to act in situations. One of the, the first guy who was killed, It's kind of a murky situation, what happened between him and Rittenhouse. 
But some people see it as he, he started, his name was Rosenbaum, that he started it. Um, he did throw a plastic bag at Rittenhouse, which set Ritten, you know, Kyle off. And, uh, you know, and that guy was killed. The second one, so as soon as he was killed, and that, and, um, Kyle shot four, there were four, four, uh, shots. So all the people around heard gunfire. They started running. Okay. But some people, they thought this is an active shooter. I mean, you hear gunfire in, on the street. What do you think? You know, yeah, it's not Fourth of July, you know, some, you know, an active shooter. So one man had a skateboard. He ran up and he hit Kyle, tried to hit Kyle on the head and tried to take the gun away from him. Okay. And he got killed. Kyle killed him. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to tell you my opinions. You could probably guess, but I'm not going to say them. Okay. Then the next guy came and he was an actual medic and he was going towards the violence because he wanted to help. And, uh, Rittenhouse was coming, was facing him. This guy, Gage, had, had his hands up. Yeah. Apparently he had a, a pistol in one of them, but his hands were up. Rittenhouse, what do they call it? Racked the gun again, you know. So Gage thought that, you know, Rittenhouse wasn't accepting his, his, um, uh, surrender. So anyway, Rittenhouse shot again, and this uh, hurt his his arm. In the trial, they said that uh, he was pointing his gun at Rittenhouse. It's it's not it's not really you know you you don't really know was his gun pointing there, or was he just lowering his arm, or was it his arm was shot and immediately dropped so it looked like he was aiming his pistol at at Kyle who knows you know cuz the whole thing happened so quickly okay so those were the, the 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 charges were you know the two murders and then entering the third one okay so all these people coming in with their previous karma for long lives, short lives, you know, their karma to be born as one race or another race. Everybody was white in this situation, yeah? Um, yeah, the kinds of families they were born into. The guy who was injured, yeah, when he had his pistol, the, the um, prosecutor said, why didn't you fire it? you know, and protect yourself because Kyle was aiming his rifle. And the guy said, that's not the kind of person I am. That's not the kind of person I want to be. Yeah. So 
all this thing, some of it from previous lives, some of it what was going on this e- that evening, especially the fact that there were other people there walking around with their guns. Yeah. Okay, so some people are mad and some people are happy. And I look at the situation. I thought I was thinking of what is Carl's, uh, Kyle's life going to be like? Okay, so here was the situation. One evening of his lifetime, for a few minutes here and a few minutes there, yeah, because the whole thing didn't take very long, and his whole life is totally different, and all of his future lives are going to be very different because of this too. Yeah, I mean, because karma doesn't care whether the jury said you were innocent or guilty. The law of karma, you know, it's like gravity. Gravity doesn't care whether you throw it up or throw it down. It's going to come down anyway, so karma's like that. Okay, but I thought, you know, first of all, he is known all over the country now. Everybody knows his name. Everybody knows his picture. Okay. He says he wants to study be, to, uh, to be a nurse. Okay. Uh, Gosar, one um, uh, representative from Arizona who just got censored by the, uh, the House because he posted some kind of animated thing showing him killing AOC and, and uh, attacking Biden. You know, he got censored by the House. Um, the, uh, the Republicans did not vote to censor him. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nutty. So anyway, uh, so uh, Gosar, the this representative who did that, said, you're welcome to come to Arizona and study on campus on Arizona, University of Arizona property. Matt Gates, you remember Matt Gates? He's the one, the young one, who is uh, under investigation for sex trafficking of young women. Okay. So he got on and said that he was offering Kyle a job as a Congress intern. Okay. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, no relationship. <laughs> my last name is, my legal name, the last name is Greene. No relationship. She also offered him a congressional internship. Okay, probably the NRA is going to offer him a job, um, you know, doing advertisements for uh, for weapons, you know, modeling his, yeah, for weapons. And this kid, okay, so many people are using him. They're just using him. So when he, the 
innocent, the not guilty verdict was announced, he just started sobbing and he kind of collapsed, you know? He was like so relieved. You know, of course, didn't express any regret or anything like that. But his life is going to be miserable. Yeah. He's under a 24 hour um, protection because he's had death threats. Yeah. His family's probably going to have to move. How, you know, he can't continue using his regular name. Everybody knows it. It's too dangerous. He's going to have to change everything and try and somehow, you know, if he wants to live like an indescript life. I mean, what he's going to have to do is going to be very difficult because can you imagine any classroom he goes into, any job he applies for, if he doesn't change his name or even if he does and they do a background check? Okay, yeah. Can you imagine him meeting some girl and then asking her out and then she finds out what his history is? Okay, so on one side, that's going to be awful. On the other side, he could be bolstered by the white right wing, you know, and used as a model of a great patriot and given all these jobs and publicity and uh, make a ton of money. He already has... Uh, over $2 million was donated for his legal offense because the bond for him to get out just, be, be, you know, before the trial was $2 million. They met the bond. And then there's the lawyer's fees and everything. So people are showering money on this kid. And then other people want to use him and they will use him and then dump him after he is no longer of use to them. And then if he tries to live any kind of normal life, it's going to be hell. Okay. And so I just look, look at that and it's like, okay, he's so relieved that he's not going to prison but his life is going to be hell out of prison, I think, even if he gets famous and gets a lot of money out of this. You know, eventually it's going to go per kerplunk. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, and just for short, you know, it's really showing that Short times in your life, if you make the wrong decision, it changes your whole life and your future lives. Yeah? And so how important it is to be really vigilant every moment because you don't know what's going to come in the next moment for you. Yeah? So anyway... You know, when I look at Kyle, I have to have a lot of compassion for him. You know, before the result came down, I was thinking, you know, if he had gotten the, the guilty verdict, I mean, prison would have killed him too. Yeah, being that age, going into prison, and then with his reputation, 
he he would have to be in um protective care and he wouldn't you know he'd be locked up most of the time and then the people who did talk to him again he they some people would try and kill him and some people would use him yeah so you kind of have to have compassion for him but you also think gee it would really be nice to live in a country where there was actual accountability for things done. There was another case, while I'm talking about all of this, okay, um, of, of a young man. This was, I don't know how old he is now, a few years old, but when he was 16 and 17, apparently he raped three women and sexually assaulted another one at his family's home, and the family had provided alcohol and marijuana for the kids. Um, So, you know, so he raped these women. Um, He told one of them, you know, if you stop resisting, it won't hurt so much. Okay, so, yeah, thank you. Aspen, yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. So he was um, from a white, wealthy neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, the judge contemplated, he said he prayed on it, and said that prison was not suitable for this young man. And so gave him eight or nine years of probation. That means he is out. Yeah, and he has to register as a sex offender. But he is out, and he clearly has mental problems and needs a sex offender program and needs his actions to be controlled because otherwise he's going to go out and rape some more people. But the judge thought that prison wasn't good for him. And as far as I know, didn't even prescribe a a sex offender program. Okay. Now, we all know, again, if he had been black, what would have happened? Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. So this is, is... the situation that as Dharma practitioners were, were living in a world where these things happened, you know? And if you don't watch your mind, you could get really angry and create a lot of negative karma out of anger. And, you know, this plays right into what Shantideva has been telling us, you know? If you get angry at a situation, you're creating negative karma, and you're going to experience painful rebirth and painful repercussions because of it. Yeah. And yet our society says, be angry. Be angry. And they have 500 National Guardsmen called up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, because they're afraid of what's going to happen. They called it up before 
you know, the verdict came down because they knew either way people were going to be upset. Okay. So here we are, you know, we don't want to get angry. We want people to be held accountable. But we also know that imprisoning somebody is not necessarily going to change them. It may protect society from from them. And that's a legit reason in my mind to imprison somebody, to protect society and to protect that person from creating more negative karma and more cause for more lower rebirths. Yeah. But to do that without anger, without hating them. Yeah. And then also to realize that even somebody who was found innocent is going to have a very hellish human life, not a happy one. And so to have compassion, you know, and yet, you know, I really pray that we don't see Kyle again in front of another jury for killing somebody else because he's taken his AR, whatever, out on the streets as a patriot, you know, to help society. Okay? So our job in all of this, first, our, our first job is to keep our own mind steady and not go to anger at whatever side you want to be angry at, because that is not going to help anything. Yeah. We could go out and protest. I don't know how much that helps. I mean, it brings attention to a cause, which is good, but it's certainly not going to change the results of this, of what happened in this trial. We can vote to try and get good people in office who will create reasonable laws. That's something we can do. We can write letters. We can talk about it. Yeah. I'm talking about it now in an attempt to help who is ever listening not to, not to get angry. And, you know, if anybody in Kenosha is hearing this, don't go out on the streets. You know, it's not going to be safe. Um, and then, you know, to really talk about gun violence in this country and what we need to do. Because what's also interesting, I was thinking about it, if this had happened when I was 17 years old, it would have been totally different. The country was not awash with guns when I was 17. Very few people had it. So this, all this is also dependent on the one Supreme Court case that in which I think it was somebody in Washington, D.C., you know, fill me in on the details if you know. And he brought a case that you should be able to have a gun outside of your home 
uh, for self-defense. And the Supreme Court ruled yes in his favor. Do you remember what year that was in? I, I don't. It was a number of years ago. So this whole thing depends on that, too. Because when I was 17, nobody had legal per- permission to do that. And you couldn't go buy a gun at Walmart. Okay. And at, at the time I was young, the NRA was there to teach people how to use, how to have gun safety. Not to encourage more people to buy guns because out of fear that the government will take them away. Okay. So how do you avoid the gov- you know, fear of the government taking away your weapon? You buy a weapon. <laughs> you know? And, and then, of course, you know, you use your weapon to defend all these people who are not white Americans from taking your land and your property. Okay. But, you know, I was born in 1950. The 50s, people were so relieved to be over the war. You know? They were just, it was like a time of prosperity, simply because people were just so relieved that World War II had ended. You know? And now, what you read people saying in the newspaper, it's like some people in this country are really eager for a civil war. You know, because people's minds, I won't say what gender, you can guess, um, feel that war, you know, war is, it's cool. You know, carrying around a weapon is cool. And this is your purpose, to, to be a patriot and fight enemies. But the enemies are often of your own creation. Yeah? But this is all a function of the ignorant mind, isn't it? How our enemies is to, is right along the line of, of your BBC today, Venerable Siltrum, you know, about we, somebody is other, and then, you know, based on very superficial things, we put them into friend, enemy, or stranger category. And then we have anger, attachment, or indifference. You know, so our job is to, See this with clarity through the eyes of Dharma so that our minds are steady and remain in a neutral or a, virtu- or a virtuous uh, state. And then, you know, to do what we can, what is possible and what is safe to do in society to try and change, you know, the injustice system. <laughs> You know, and uh, and prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Question. Yeah. So the erroneous misconception of this particular thinking that this is considered patriotism and whatever acquired obscuration. 
And can it be a collective karma that this thought is rising in the minds of people due to? Yeah, it's it's a it's an acquired acquired affliction, you know, developing this image as, as a patriot. It has historical roots. So again, if this had happened in another country with a different history, the way people would think would be different. In America, you know, America was founded by people who didn't fit in wherever they came from. Okay? And, yeah? And people came here, 1776, we are fighting for our independence. You know, what was it? Give me liberty or give me death. Okay? So some guy, you know, macho guy with his, you know, weapon, give me liberty or give me death. I wonder if somebody was facing him with a weapon, if he would still say that. You know, it's one thing to make these statements when you are in your own house or with a bunch of people who are not threatening you. It's another one to say it when you are in direct risk. Anyway, this whole thing in America of we're fighting for our independence, for our freedom, you know, and the Second Amendment so that the government doesn't tyrannize us, you know. Okay, you can see how that came into being because of, you know, they were trying to get free of the King of England. But the Second Amendment has become something that I don't know how it relates to what the the founders had in mind when they made that amendment. It was for a, a militia, you know, to keep the government from uh, taking over people's lives. Anyway, there's this, you know, real thing of we're liber- libertarian, you know, and patriots, and we're doing this, and now we can have weapons and walk around. In another country, you couldn't do that. Another country with another history. Yeah. At another time in this country, you couldn't do that. So it's so interesting how you have so many different things coming together. Yeah. So... You you not only, you know, have the conditioning of people hearing American history in a certain version when they were in grammar school and high school, you know. Do you remember what you were taught about American history? Yeah? Did, did America, was America ever, ever responsible for anything negative? Never. Never. We were the one free society, you know. Nobody knew what happened to the indigenous people in this country. That wasn't taught. Or if it was taught, they were being civilized. Nobody talked about what slavery really was and what was going on. Okay. Unless maybe they were happy. You know, it's crazy. So you see so many causes and conditions. And from coming from so many different people's minds, yeah, 
that influence how different people grow up and what they think is is true and how they see themselves fitting into it. Yeah? So this whole group of people now who want to be patriots. And do you remember when the... um, um, What was it called? The ones who were wearing the triangular hats, the Republicans. What? Tea Party. Tea Party, yeah. So Tea Party, again, you know, after the American Revolution. And going around wearing the three-cornered hats, we're patriots, you know, and we're fighting to get the government, you know, out of our lives although the government really would like to be in people's business. They, these people want the government, not, not in people's business. Many of these people who don't want the government in their lives would like the government to be in other people's bedrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, anti-LGBTQI+, I don't know, so many, yeah, there's so many initials everywhere you turn, you know? Yeah, let's have people, let's have the government in people's bedrooms, Yeah. But, uh, okay, so all, all of these different conditioning forces, and you can't find one thing to say this was the origin of all of of this whole myth, situation you can't find one thing in this to put your finger on and say this started it all and this made it happen like this you know and the only thing that comes close is the ignorance in sentient beings minds yeah but as far as everything else very different, you know, so many conditioning factors. Okay. Anything? Any other? Yeah. I think, too, the teachings on karma and especially the Ten Non Virtues um, were re- are really so helpful as a compass for what is actually helpful and beneficial. Mm-hmm. Because of ignorance, we see it's totally distorted. Um, I, mean, I was raised to be very patriotic, mm-hmm. and that meant supporting the death penalty, supporting laws like detention without trial uh, that are invoked in the government to protect the nation. I worked in the, There were so many things we did to protect the nation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second, this is morally corrupt to me. Mm-hmm. And there's no space to talk about it. So it's interesting for me to see the same exercise of power here. It's not detention with, uh, without trial, but it's the use of the entire jury system to, for a group in power to advance its interests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's morally corrupt. I mean, yeah. 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 But yeah, there's a big difference between what is legal and what is ethically pure. Big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm also wondering about the karma that these judges have created mm-hmm. and how, you know, 
they have this responsibility to uphold the law of the country, mm-hmm. but they have interpreted in a certain way because they have the power to do that. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, as citizens, you mentioned a number of things we can do, um, but certain levels of judges, you you don't vote for them, right? They're some, put into power. Some judges you vote for and some are appointed. Right. And what and, to do about the ones that are appointed? Huh? And how does a regular citizen, you know, For the ones who are appointed, yeah. then you have to vote for the people who appoint them. <laughs> You know, that that's how you would get access or complain to those people who appointed them. Yeah. For the ones that were ele- elected, um, there was an, another, oh, in, in Northern California, remember the case of the, was it the Stanford guy who was swimming and who um, sexually assaulted this woman and when she was drunk and she found out about it. This was the one where where she was found, uh, two guys who were walking by found her behind a dumpster and took her to the hospital. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And in this case, the judge said, you know, because he was a, a Stanford student, Stanford's a, you know, a comparable to Ivy League, but it's on the West Coast. Um, and he was a swimmer, so he's a sports guy. And he's from a white, well-to-do family. And so the, the, the judge, what, he didn't convict him. He, what did he do? It was some, something a comparable to a slap on the wrist. Anybody remember? What, what it was. Yeah. His father made the, the very wise statement of he was just looking for some action that night. So, um, anyway, the people in the, that county were very upset with what the judge did. And they, uh, they, I don't know if they recalled him anyway. They got him out of office, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So they were very upset. (laughs) Okay. Shall we start this evening's teaching? Not yet. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing to me how much power judges have because we pretend like the law is clear and, you know, if you do this, you get that. Yeah. But it's, there's so much of a range of how it's interpreted and applied and judges have so much power. So that seems a bit dangerous to have a system like that. Yeah. But in some ways it's good the judges have power because if you just have mandatory sentencing... Mandatory sentencing is horrible, you know. If a judge has some power to see, you know, to consider the person's upbringing, to consider the situation and give them a lighter sentence because of, you know, other factors, that is good. But the the uh, mandatory sentencing is a disaster, Yeah especially three strikes and you're out. If your last strike is, I think, 
just some minor thing, they put you away for the rest of your life. It's, so it, it's very difficult. How, you know, how do you set up a justice system that is just, that is fair, when it's operated by sentient beings whose minds are overwhelmed by afflictions and karma? You know, how, how do you do anything in society that's going to turn out right when the characters involved are overwhelmed by ignorance, anger, and attachment? Um, then you share this um, tonight to share how we apply the Dharma uh, in current situations. Um, I admire that because um, reading news in such detail can suck. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, it needs a certain power <laughs> in mind, <laughs> a certain strength um, to do that. And um, from history, we know I know from German's history, you know, if you are not stay tuned with what really people are doing, what the government is doing and the jury is doing and such, um, you are so ignorant that you tend to do the wrong thing. And so you're really watching, you're like taking this religious responsibility to bear witness actually and share what you're bearing, but you're witnessing and um, teaching us in that way. Um, even so, we may think, I want to hear Dharma, but you have to <laughs> listen carefully um, that your expression is actually a care, is a compassionate mm. attitude um, because you care about the country, yeah. about the well-being of sentient beings. So I wanted to emphasize that because sometimes we may think, I really want to go through the text. I don't want to hear politics. I don't, you know, it's not relating to me yeah. or whatever. Um, to put that in context a little bit. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll, I'll get lots of negative mail coming in, you know, because people will think it's about politics. But like I said, for me, it's not about politics. Yeah. It's about ethics and about compassion. Yeah. I find it helpful to hear about these sorts of stories and reflect on karma. And I can think about what I was like when I was that age and how many bad decisions I made and the times that I didn't face consequences. And I was very lucky. I was very fortunate. And so mm -hmm. as much as, you know, normally it might just be thinking about how wonderful I have the karma to have this precious human life and to be in this place practicing the Dharma even just saying how fortunate I was that when I was 17, I didn't make a mistake that, you know, yeah. maybe would have put me in jail or maybe would have, you know, really <sighs> impacted my life in such a way that the Dharma would have never been a, never yeah. would have been a possibility. Yeah. So that, that for me is always really striking. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I look at what I did is, late teenage, early 20 years, I'm very lucky, too. I didn't get hurt really bad. I could have. Yeah. So, so you know, there's this decision to put yourself in a bad situation, and then there's, what is there the karma that you experience suffering from it, or is there a karma, you know, that you're not going to experience suffering from that, but it will impact you some other way or, or whatever. Yeah. And then how we grew up and, you know, 
things I did, other people would never do. And things other people did, I would never do. So, you know, we all grew up and being raised with different things are okay or not okay. And, yeah. Even as you were describing the whole thing, I kept thinking that underlying it all, there's this fundamental difference between a mind that's committed to nonviolence and a mind that believes that violence is the only way to protect or care for. Yeah. So even that genuine wish, you know, I mean, I want to go help, and the way I help is I carry a gun, is <laughs> not based on a mind that's 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 oriented toward nonviolence, and so everything spins it's out. It's not based on a, on a mind oriented toward nonviolence. Yeah. Right? So everything <laughs> spins out from from even from from that from the fundamental kind of ethical view. Yeah. And how how does that come about? I do I right? yeah. I mean even that karmic ripening somewhere along the line yeah. you get a different orientation. So it's it, it, the complexity is overwhelming. Yeah. And the whole teenage culture that when you're a seventeen year old boy, it is cool to have a semi-automatic weapon and walk down the street with all the men who also have weapons and to think that you are a patriot protecting the country. You know, that that's, you know, wow, if you have that self-image. Because teenage years, I mean, we're all so insecure and looking for something to become, to, you know, create who I am, because we have no, you know, our minds are nutty in teenage years although we think that we know almost everything. Yeah. So yeah, when you think about that, it's, and that in this country in particular, you know, what is considered cool for a teenage male? You know? Now, do you think one of his female classmates would do that? I don't think so, you know? Maybe you might find one in a thousand, but no. But, you know, this the way that boys are brought up, this is cool. Is, it, is that true, guys? <laughs> no? Not so much in Canada. Huh? <laughs> what? Not so much in Canada. Not so much in Canada? Uh, <laughs> Well, we heard some news about things going on in Alberta that So, okay. Let's let's do at least okay. <coughs> Get, let me cuz we stopped in the middle of a section last time, okay? So we're on page 158. So I want to go over the this rice, rice seedling sutra quotation, which is quite uh, famous. Okay, the Buddha, where the Buddha said, "Monastics, he who understands this rice stock, can understand the meaning of dependent arising. Those who know dependent arising know Dharma. Those who know the Dharma know the Buddha." Okay. So you read the first sentence. He who understands this rice stock 
can understand the meaning of dependent arising. And you go, huh? You know, I understand this rice stock. Here's this rice stock. Yeah, somebody planted rice seeds and this stock grew out of the dirt. And how does that mean I understand dependent arising? You know, which means I understand the Dharma and understand the Buddha. I just understand this thing grew from a seed. Okay? So that's how our mind looks at it. (laughs) Yeah. But here's where, if what he means, you know, understanding this rice stock is one of um, the Chandakirti's refutations of inherent existence. Yeah? So how did this rice stock or sprout, you know, originate? Yeah? Was it produced by itself? Was it produced by something other than itself? Was it produced by both, self and other? Or was it produced without a cause? Okay. And then... You, there's this whole unpacking of this analysis and what this means, okay? So if the, the rice sprout or stalk came from itself, that means it, it grew from, from a seed that was already itself, that already had like an unmanifest sprout in the seed. And in that case, if that's how it came about, then you have the cause and the effect existing at the same time. Okay. Can a cause and its effect exist at the same time? No. The the cause has to cease for the effect to arise. Okay. So I'm not going to go into the long refutation. This is the, the essence of it. So things are not produced by self. At the time, uh, you know, in, in cla- the classical period in India, the Samkhyas asserted that things arose from a cause that was the same uh, nature as the result. Yeah. And they believe this. And the, these are the ones. Remember the Samkhyas? They're the ones that say that there was a primal substance out of which everything arose. Okay. So that's refuting their argument. Then let's jump over the second one, other, and, and go to the last one. Okay. Causeless. Can anything grow causelessly? Yeah. Can you have a result without having a cause? No, that's impossible. Okay. Then let's go back to that one. Something is produced by something other than it. That one looks okay. Yeah, the seed is other than the sprout. Yeah. But Chandrakirti, when he made this syllogism, he is assuming that everything that when you talk about other, it doesn't mean conventional other, it means an inherently existent other. 
Okay, so if the cause were inherently different than the result, yeah, then the two things would not be related. Okay, and that seed could not produce that sprout because they would be inherently different. Now, the seed and the sprout are different. They are definitely not the same, okay? But they are not inherently different, okay? If they were inherently different, yeah, then there's no relationship between them, in which case you could plant uh, pumpkins and grow gorillas, okay? Because there would be no relationship between the cause and the effect, because they would be inherently different. And then, you know, can they be... Uh, so that that was the assertion of the lower Buddhist schools. Then the, uh, the third one, that they were produced by self and by others, this is the assertion of the Jains, because they say the, that, uh, like a clay pot, it was produced by, uh, by it, um, by itself. It was the clay that was there became the clay of the pot. So it was produced by itself, but it was also produced by other because there was a potter involved. But the thing that's wrong with that is if it wasn't produced by an inherent other and it wasn't produced by self, then it couldn't be produced by both of them. Okay, so there's this whole long thing. You know, I just gave you a 20-second review, but there's, you know, pages and pages. If you look at illuminating the intent, huge section about this, okay? And and this was uh, this verse that talked about this is the first verse in Nagarjuna's Karikas, you know, in no place at any time is anything ever produced by self, other, both, or causelessly. Verse one, in chapter one. Okay, so it's it's talking about that. So you refuted that that the sprout was produced by self, other, both, and causelessly, but you know that the sprout came into existence. So there's only one other alternative for how it arose, and that is it arose dependently. Okay, so by process of elimination, you come to the conclusion because, you know, you know the... the the right sprout is there, that it arose dependent on on its cause, the rice seed, and on conditions, fertilizer, water, heat, okay, and lack of gophers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this leads you into a whole discussion of dependent arising. In this particular case, we're talking about causal dependence, but there's other levels of dependent arising too. You know, if you, if you talk about causal dependence, the cause is, produces the result. 
okay? So the result is dependent on the cause. But if you look at the situation in another way, yeah, the cause is dependent on the result, not in the sense that the result created the cause, but because that rice became the cause in dependence upon the production of a rice sprout. Yeah, so what you term, what you designate as cause and effect, those two are mutually dependent. Yeah. And then that gets you into another level of, of dependence. Yeah. Because if there's not anything inherent in the seed that produces the result, yeah, and those things are mutually dependent because they are designated in dependence on each other, then it shows that they are dependently designated and merely dependently designated. The mere uh, eliminates them being inherently related in any way. Okay, so here you just went through three levels of dependence. Yeah, again, in like four sentences. So, uh, but, but that's the idea, okay? So, if you understand the rice stock, you understand the meaning of dependent arising. If you know dependent arising, and here we're talking about all the various forms of dependent arising, okay, causal dependence, mutual dependence, de- dependence on parts, dependently designated, merely dependently designated, there's all sorts of dependence, okay? So if you understand that well, then dependent arising becomes the reason that establishes the emptiness of inherent existence. Why do things lack inherently existent? Because they're produced dependently. Okay? And how that works is if something were inherently existent, it would exist independent of all other factors, of causes, parts, the mind that conceives and labels it, Okay, so if if something existed inherently, it would exist totally independent of everything else. Yeah, but we just saw how things are dependent. So then they can't exist inherently. Yeah, so you know emptiness, you now know the ultimate nature. Okay, and so those who know the Dharma... Yeah. So you know the ultimate nature that things are empty. But you also know that on the conventional level, they are established because they are dependent. So you're not falling to either extremes. Yeah. You know they're empty, so you don't fall to the extreme of inherent existence or absolutism. And you know that. Um, they are dependently arising, so they do exist. But you also know that because they're dependent arising, they're empty. 
And because they're empty, they also exist dependently and conventionally. Okay. So you know both natures, you know, and this is talked about not just intellectually, you know, a bunch of words, but through your own meditative experience. So if, so that's knowing the Dharma, that's the essence of the Dharma, yeah, the nature of, of reality, how things are. And those who know the Dharma know the Buddha. So if you have, you know, non-conceptual realization of all of that, then your mind is in tune with the Buddha's mind. Yeah, what the Buddha realizes, your mind realizes, at least as an Arya, as you progress on the, the grounds, the paths and grounds of an Arya, then your mind can become a Buddha's mind, but you're definitely growing in, in that direction. So that's what it means. Uh, those who know the Dharma know the Buddha. It isn't that you know the Buddha and, oh, there's the Buddha. He's my old friend. I haven't seen him in so long. He's walking down the street. No, that's not what it means. Yeah. In fact, when the Buddha was alive, there was one old man, uh, he might have been a monk, I can't remember, who um, he was dying and the Buddha um, came to see him and the man was so happy. He said, my whole life I've wanted to meet the Buddha, you know. And the Buddha said, why are you, why are you so keen about seeing this body made of flesh and blood, you know? It's just a body. Why are you so keen about seeing that? Yeah, you haven't seen the Buddha if you've seen this body, okay? So seeing the Buddha has, you know, it doesn't mean here with, with our eyes, you know? It's seeing the Buddha here in our heart. Okay, so we did um, one paragraph, <laughs> and we will uh, take up with the rest of that afterwards. Any other questions or comments before we stop? Okay, then we'll dedicate. Okay, so when we're dedicating tonight, Let's keep um, everybody involved in this whole messy situation in mind and really hope that there's no violence because of it. Yeah. And let's also dedicate for Venerable Munsell's dad. He's, he's in ICU. Yeah. So let's dedicate that he recover quickly. Also to um, the... The owners of our E&L mechanic service who take care of our cars, Travis, he's young, in his 40, he's in ICU with COVID at Sacred Heart right now. Oh, my goodness. He's been there for four weeks. Four weeks, four weeks in ICU? Yeah, his his wife uh, made it through the COVID. They both got it. What? They both got it. Him and his wife got it, and she recovered. They went to Ohio for something, and, and so he's in ICU at Sacred Heart and struggling. Wow, and he's the guy who works in. He's the owner of the the mechanic shop that we take Munsell and Kenneth and in, in Newport. Yeah. 
So I just found that out tonight. So I told them we'd keep him in our prayers. That's good. Prayers. 